0: Welcome to Season 5 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I'm still your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. The program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you. If you have needs in any of those areas, you can reach him at 615 615- Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Welcome back. I'm very thankful you're here listening today. So today we're going to continue our conversation from last week, at least in the general sense of forgiveness. I speak from my own history and the life that I've lived up to this point when I tell you That there simply is not enough forgiveness going around in our time. And I would stand behind that statement regardless of the setting in which you placed it. That's true in our government or across the span of our country and world. But I think it's also true in our churches and even in our families. This simple process where one person genuinely, honestly, and directly apologizes for something that they've done without making excuses or sharing the blame, is far too uncommon. But as you and I will investigate today, it's not all their fault, that is, the fault of the one who's committed the offense. Because it turns out that the process of restored relationships is bigger than just the humility of any one person. After all, the person that they offended must be willing to forgive them. They too must be humble, humble enough to put aside their hurt feelings or what Right of restitution, they believe that they have long enough to sit down with the person and hear what they have to say. I think we live in a time where people just don't want to be done wrong, and when they are, they don't like it to such a degree that they don't easily let the other person off the hook. So, in order to bring forgiveness back, which is my big mantra for the week, making it popular again to get together and rebuild relationships we have to look not only at the humility of the offender and the humility of the one who has been hurt, but also what I contend to be the secret sauce in making things right, and that is how the people around those two people behave. I mean, if the sinner is the central part of the story since they started this, and the forgiver is the crucial character in the story— since they have the capacity in the kindness of Jesus to end this thing and make things better, then it might be that the most active character in all of this is the third party. It's the friend who knows both of the people involved. To build a scenario, let's say you have done something against someone else, and there is a friend who knows both of you. And occasionally, you talk about what you did and how you feel bad about it, but that friend tells you that you shouldn't worry about that. In reality, it's the other person's fault, and there are any number of excuses you could make, and they're all great. Maybe that person even has some nice, juicy gossip on the other person to show that even if you are at fault, they are certainly more at fault than you are. Sometime later, that same friend can be talking to the person that you have offended, and all of a sudden, their tone is changed. They're telling that person that they have a right to hold a grudge, or they're sharing some gossip about something you said that just ends up making a larger gap between the two of you. So I want to get into some of that today because while we hopefully don't have a lot of inner circle friends like that, sometimes we can all behave that way. Sometimes people cater to and say things to people in the room so that they will be friends with them, even if it means being ungracious or unkind to another friend of theirs who just so happens to not be in the room at the time. Ultimately, it's just this crazy little creepy thing called gossip that even families and God's own people fall victim to. What I'm saying to you is we can have more forgiveness, sought and extended, but the other friends, the peer group, the other family members, the other churchgoers, the people who know everyone involved need to become more of a healing factor than a dividing one. So today, to help with all of that, I have this great Bible story to share with you where we have all three parties represented, the offender and offended people, and also the one who works between them, and we get to see this great project of forgiveness carried out beautifully in the name of the Lord. But before we get into that, I need you to give me a couple of minutes to go back and talk about last week's episode, The Tyranny of Forgiveness. No doubt about it, I received more correspondence and messages concerning that episode Than anyone that we've ever done. The responses fell into two very clear and distinct categories, and I want to share with you what I have learned from reading the things that perhaps you and a great many others have sent to me. Firstly, abuse in the home is a serious issue and probably a bigger deal than you and I can even imagine. So many people reached out to me to talk about the pain that they incurred by listening to the sermon or episode because of what they faced when they were young people in families that everyone else thought was great, people where the father was an elder or a preacher or active in the local church, and yet behind closed doors, things were very dark and terrifying. And really, it was my number one lament going throughout the week is that the episode content brought back a lot of painful memories for people. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about child abuse and spousal abuse. It means we need to talk more about it. We need to empower church leaders family members and friends to understand that these things are real and we need to have our eyes open and we need to do whatever it takes to help protect the innocent. I'm reading a couple of books right now about the upside down kingdom that Jesus brought that was prophesied by the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament. It was a kingdom that rescued the oppressed. Christ church is not about some image that we uphold It is about caring for the hurting and the helpless and rescuing those who are being damaged by others. Secondly, I received a few messages concerning the topic of forgiveness. They were very eye-opening and interesting. I don't think anything directly against what I was saying, but certainly some important elaboration. And really, they related to this concept that forgiveness may demand actual action and restitution by the offender. Of course, that will play directly into today's episode, The one who has committed the sin or done what is wrong, what are you responsible to do? I understand how we preach it and teach it and say that you should be willing to forgive people even if they don't ask. You should never have bitterness towards someone, no matter what they've done to you, even if they do not own what they have done. But if we just say forgive them anyway and let it go, what we might end up building is a culture where people never apologize where people don't believe they ever need to apologize or do anything to make it right or own any of the consequences of what they have done because you are a Christian and you should have forgiven them as soon as it happened, even before they were sorry for it. Now, I get that that is a difficult concept. We are not the judge of people's souls. God is. But I think it is interesting that even God expected those who'd sinned against him to repent. Those who are not Christians had to repent of their sins and be baptized and devote their life to what was right. God's mercy was freely given. You cannot demand it of him or steal it from him or extract it from him. He is willing to give it freely, but his freely given gift does require something on your part. And I think what we are ultimately saying and what was explicitly said in some incredible things that were written to me this last week is that forgiveness has a multi-party facet to it. There is a humble, important commitment that the offender needs to make, an initiation on their part. There is an important, humble reception of that that the one who has been hurt has to be open to, in fact, ought to have been yearning for, that makes repair possible. And again, as I mentioned earlier, and you'll see in the example that's upcoming, All of us play a role in this. In last week's topic, if there is spousal abuse going on and you know both of those people, you have a role in this. Or more generically, if there are two Christians who are upset with each other because one of them did something and the other one can't let it go, and you know both of those people, the way you talk to them, the way you talk about them, the way you talk about God and forgiveness and restitution and rebuilding. All of that makes a difference. Look, this question we always ask, should I forgive someone who has sinned against me if they do not ask, is always going to be tough. My best answer, I think, is you should always have a heart that desires it like Jesus did. You should pray for it. You should do everything in your power to effect it. But we also don't want to send this signal that repentance isn't needed, that nobody even needs to ask forgiveness anymore We've all made mistakes. Just everyone let it go. A couple of things about that. Number one, as we said, that is not the way it is with God. God is not bitter. He freely gives you forgiveness, but he does ask for you to come and seek it and show humility. And in some ways, we want our relationship with others to draw people to that. But secondly, I just don't think the no apology thing actually works you sinned, he sinned, everybody sinned. Don't worry about talking to each other or getting past it. Just let it go. Those words rarely result in people actually letting it go. So look, we can do better. We can bring forgiveness back. And I think the story found in the short letter of Philemon can give us the exact help that we need by looking at a forgiveness project from three different godly perspectives. So I would certainly encourage you to read the book of Philemon. It's just 25 verses. It opens with grace. It ends with grace. Verse 3 and verse 25 and in between is a beautiful, gracious story. For today's episode, I'm going to walk you through it in paraphrase version because I want to fold in some historical data that's not in the letter itself. So we know that the Apostle Paul did missionary journeys planting churches in different cities. And while he never visited, to our knowledge, the city of Colossae, he did write them a letter, the Colossians' letter, and he is most definitely the reason that church got started. Perhaps he was in Ephesus or something and converted some people and they moved to Colossae. It wasn't that far away. One of the men there was named Philemon. Philemon is a Gentile. He is probably a wealthy Gentile. He was an owner of slaves, which was pretty common in that time. The opening of the letter seems to indicate that the Colossians' church met in Philemon's house. Well, somewhere along the way, one of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, abandoned him and ran off. Some historians suggest that he stole money. We're not sure exactly how it happened, but it was a major offense for a slave to run away from a Gentile master. The Roman government took this very seriously. This was a major offense. So Onesimus takes off, heads west, and ends up in Rome. It just so happens to be during this two-year period where the Apostle Paul is in jail in Rome. He's actually in a rented quarters where people can come and go and he can teach the gospel. Maybe Onesimus was feeling bad about what he had done or just searching for hope in his life. He probably knew about Paul already because of the history of the Colossae church in Philemon. And so Onesimus goes and visits Paul and obeys the gospel he becomes a brother in Christ. Paul actually later writes about how useful that he was. It was a really great relationship. And maybe to some of us, that should just be the end of the story. Onesimus, stay in Rome and help Paul. Just don't ever go back to Philemon's house. That would be a problem. But that is not what he decided to do. I don't know if it was Paul's teaching or Onesimus' idea, but he decided he needed to head back to Philemon and make things right. Paul was the character who knew both of them. And so he not only supported that decision of restitution and repentance, but he was even willing to write a letter to Philemon encouraging him to receive Onesimus. And that letter is the 25 verse book of Philemon in your New Testament. Paul talks about Philemon's faith and their good relationship. He says, look, I could compel you to do this, but I'm not going to do so. Instead, I want to appeal to the grace of God in your life and your love for others. Paul went on to say, I highly believe that you will go even farther than just forgiving him. But, he writes, just in case you're not willing, I want you to put Onesimus' charge on my account. Now, that letter doesn't tell us what happened. I mean, that's just Paul's letter to him. I've often wondered if Onesimus accompanied that letter back to Colossae, or maybe he waited a week to let Philemon think about it first, But when we read the end of the book of Colossians, which was probably written just a few months later, we see that Onesimus had been there and things had gone well, and apparently Philemon had not only forgiven him, but allowed him to now be free, because it looked like Onesimus was actually traveling back and forth and working with Paul again. This intricate project of restoration and true forgiveness was complete, and it led to a flourishing, grace-filled, positive outcome. Here's what I want you to see today. If any of the three parties involved had not been a part of it, it likely would have never happened. And my thesis is today that forgiveness is not flourishing in our time like it used to because at least one of these pieces is usually missing. Let's look at them briefly. Number one, Onesimus, the central part of the story. He absolutely did something wrong to someone else and ran away from it. Sometime later, maybe even much later, later, He is baptized and becomes a part of the body of Christ. And yet, even then, he understands that it is his duty, especially to a brother in Christ, to make things right. I believe Onesimus did an incredibly brave thing. Like I told you, it was a huge deal running from a master. He was, in some ways, putting his life on the line, but he understood what Jesus meant when he said, even if you're making your offering at the altar and you know of a brother who has something against you, Leave the offering and go make that right. That's what Onesimus did, and it reminds me of a story I heard just recently about a young man who got into law trouble, drug trouble in the state of Florida. He had been raised in the church and had fallen away, and he fled the law and came back to Texas and hid. He finally decided to make his life right with Jesus, and he went to his father and said, I need to make this right. His father didn't say, everything is fine, don't worry about it, His father said, you know what you need to do, and they both got in a car together and drove to Florida, and he turned himself in, and he did his time, and he got out and came back to Texas, and he's doing well. I think that says a ton about that guy's heart, and this reminds me of last week, that a lot of times we just don't want to face the consequences because ultimately it's still about us. Onesimus made it about the Lord and about Philemon, and I want to be more like him. And I would say to you that even if no one else in the entire project behaves properly, find the humility and faithfulness in yourself to be an Onesimus. The second character in our story is the Apostle Paul, who again is not the sinner or the one who's been sinned against, but he is the most active character in the story. He's the one who has a history with Philemon, who has now taught the gospel to Onesimus and sits down on his own accord to write a letter to Philemon, not making him do something, but appealing to God's grace in him and even putting his own reputation and neck on the line. Maybe Paul remembered when Barnabas did that exact thing for him. Do you remember back when Saul was converted and tried to associate with the churches, but no one would let him anywhere near them? And then Barnabas stood up for him and walked him into those churches and started those relationships. I just think that we all need friends like this in our lives, and these are the kind of friends that you and I need to be. Let's just look at it from that angle. Maybe you haven't done anything wrong or had anything wrong done against you, but you have two friends who are presently at odds. You could easily cater to the one when you're with them and then cater to the other when you're with them. You could ignore it or downplay it, or you could just think, this isn't my problem. I'm not going to get involved. And while it is very difficult to get involved with two people who don't want to make things better, just keep in mind that your contribution may be the center piece that connects the two. I just want to use the G word one more time, gossip. Talking about people who aren't in the room, getting some joy out of all of that. We have to eliminate that from our Christian fellowship, from our family fellowship. You might be thinking, well, it's not doing any harm, but that's not the point. The point is, you are probably in a position to help. Find those opportunities, go out on a limb, and be a peacemaker. The last character, of course, is Philemon, and everything would have fallen apart if he had had a hard heart. But of course, Paul knew that he didn't have a hard heart, nor do most people that we know. They just need to be reminded of the mercies of the Lord and compelled to demonstrate that mercy to others. I mean, look, so few people apologize these days that if someone actually comes to you and says they are sorry, you ought to be overjoyed to accept it. I do wonder about the opposite of that, if maybe people don't admit their mistakes anymore because they just don't believe that the other person will receive them. I think we can fix that on a general scale, but maybe today I'm talking to you more on a specific one. Is there someone in your life who has tried to do something kind to make things better in your relationship? You may have even had good advisors in your life telling you to reach out your arm and receive them. But something is still seated in your heart, and it's hard. Let me finish by reminding you about the grace of God. Paul opened the letter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he ended that letter with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the way he fashioned all of this to appeal to Philemon. I've been thinking a lot about that last line. It's not just the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be in your spirit, though we all pray that it is. He said that grace ought to be with your spirit. So it's not just something that you wonderfully receive, but something you willingly carry with you to share with others. I don't know, maybe I've just been a little cynical lately, but I just don't feel like forgiveness in all of its facets are nearly as common as they used to be. Maybe it's the offender's fault. They just don't want to face any consequences. Maybe it's the offended person's fault because they're not willing to extend mercy. Or maybe it's the fault of the people around them who have created a more toxic environment. Probably it's a little bit of all three, so let's just fix it. Let's bring forgiveness back. Be that humble offender who's willing to face what you've done. Be that person who was definitely hurt in the past but all you want to do is extend mercy. Be that great friend who facilitates peace by your involvement. The Philemon story ought to give hope to all of us. Find your part, open your heart, and let's bring forgiveness back. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 615-895-7773. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.